following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. or second, Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3 is where we are at this morning. That's in the right-hand side of your Bibles. Um, If you have an actual Bible uh, or an electronic device that has a Bible on it, we have, let me just give you a little bit of kind of uh, vision casting here. Um, We have a couple more sermons uh, out of second Thessalonians to kind of land that plane. And then uh, we're going to have a baptism Sunday in November, which will be fantastic to see the people make declarations of faith um, or, or through the public profession of, of baptism. And then um, we're in Advent, um, so it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, it snowed this past week. Bethany texted me. She says, I'm outside on the deck dancing because there's snow. So don't just pray for us. Pray for our wives. And pray for our spouses, because Snow and I just don't get along. I cannot prove it biblically, but I think it's an effect of the fall. Um, And so after Advent, I'm going to prove it, because we're going to preach Genesis in January, all right? And I'll show you how sinful Snow is. Just kidding. Just kidding. Some of you who love Snow are like, I'll throw a snowball at you. Bring it on. Bring it on. So we're in 2 Thessalonians today, chapter 3. Big uh, numbers are going to be uh, the chapters, and then smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And maybe this is your first Sunday here. If it is, welcome. We want to give you kind of a running start on where we're at here. The closing verses of the last chapter of Thess- 2 Thessalonians is a letter. So you have genres in the Bible. You have in the Old Testament the law. You have the history of the Israelites, you have wisdom literature, major and minor prophets, you move into the New Testament, you get the Gospels, you get the book of Acts, which stands alone, and then you get these letters to the church. And Paul is a Pharisee among Pharisees who has come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he helps fill in the gaps for the disciples on how uh, God wants to be worshipped among his church. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, ascended to the right hand of God, he gives us the free gift of the Holy Spirit and it works and it moves inside the church. And Paul says, this is what this looks like for us to honor the Lord as a church, believers who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, Paul says, he is coming back again and the answer of when he's coming back again is soon. So say soon. That could be 10 minutes from now. That could be 10 years from now. That could be 10 decades from now. But that's a promise in scripture that will come true. So Paul has counseled this little tiny church in Thessalonica. Back in the New Testament, we didn't have fancy church names. There was no such thing as community gospel or any of these first or second or third whatevers. It was more just you name the church off of the community. And so you get Thessalonians, you get Colossians, you get Galatians, you get Ephesians, and these are the churches that are gathered in those regions. Paul's already said to the Thessalonians to stand firm in your faith, which they were doing, to not become easily shaken by false teachers, which they were doing, 
And then in chapter 3, he's going to offer a heartfelt prayer for his beloved church. And he says, this is the church of Christ. I love you guys. Let me give you a reminder of the significance of prayer. And then let's talk about how you can pray for other people. John Bunyan, who has said, if you cut him, he would bleed the Bible, said, prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. I would add to that that prayer is the weapon that the church rarely picks up in today's culture. And we need to um, unleash that sword more often. So how does prayer, according to the Apostle Paul, given the words by God penned in this letter, the inspired, inerrant, without error, word of God, how does prayer make us strong? Verse 1. Finally, brothers... Now, notice that it's term of endearment, right? I love you, and I do love you, church. Pastors should love their congregation. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, and it may be honored as it has happened to you. And, verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all of us have faith. Those are good opening words, and basically what Paul's praying for is an advancement of the gospel. Let's break down those passages of scripture, starting in the first part of verse 1. It is obvious that the Apostle Paul had a regular prayer time. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a time where you have regular prayer? Do you have multiple times in the day where you are regularly praying, not just for other people, but also for yourself? As a pastor, one of the things I hear all the time is that people are quick to say, would you pray for, and then list other people, but often are scared or somewhat timid to ask for prayer for themselves. Paul was never afraid to do both. He was never afraid to pray for other people, and he wasn't afraid to ask for prayer for himself. Here, he says, church, would you pray for me in all of the efforts that we are doing? Now, remember, there's three people. There's Paul, there's Silas, and there's Timothy who are working for the gospel efforts to evangelize or share their faith with people who do not have the gospel. Would you pray for us while we share in the ministry of making Christ known? He says, brothers and sisters, pray for two specific things. Verse 1, second part. Pray that God's message would spread rapidly. John, myself, Jessica, Annette, all the staff, ministry heads, we are praying that the gospel would spread rapidly throughout the communities that are entrusted to our care. Now let's underline some words because we're studying scripture today. Paul uses the phrase, the word of the Lord. Now this is interesting. This is like a backhand from the apostle Paul to the false teachers that were present in the day. Because he says, it's not my words, it's God's words. And those contradict the words of the false teachers. We look at the New Testament authors and we think to ourselves, how do we know that these words are really from God? Well, they never elevate themselves. They're always elevating the Lord. The false teachers in that time, they were working on elevating themselves. So Paul wants the gospel to be preached. For he knew that that could not be done on his own strength. So he asked the church, pray for it. Church, would you pray for that? For us and for yourself. The Greek word may speed ahead is kind of an interesting thing. For whatever reason, Paul loves the race. 
Maybe he was a runner. Who knows? But this literally pictures a runner moving forward quickly, perhaps like a race that was held in Corinth called the Ithmian Games. Paul is writing from Corinth, and maybe he had a ticket to the Ithmian Games. Maybe he saw it. I don't know. He's often in prison, so I don't know how his populating of races happens. But he heard about it, and he writes about it. Paul saw the gospel message running across the known world, finding converts in every place, just as it had done in Thessalonica. We picture that too as well here at Community Gospel. We picture the gospel running forward, speeding ahead, spreading rapidly in your workplace, in your homes, in the places that you populate all throughout the world. We see the gospel running across the world. We pray for that. When God's word speeds ahead, it's not us who are honored. Notice that. Paul points back to this. He uses that word honored, which is the word glorified. But God gets the glory for that. He's the one who produces the marvelous results in the lives of those who believe. And because of that, he gets the praise. Some people in your workforce or maybe even in your marriage or maybe even in your home or whatever the case may be, might not be coming believers because God's looking and saying, do you want that glory or do I get that glory? Oftentimes, we want the glory for things that God should get the glory for. I'm not saying that's always the case, but it's something to seek out in regards to your heart. Now, the Thessalonian church had been a model congregation. They evangelized well. We learned that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And Paul asked them to pray for the evangelistic efforts to save many, and God gets the glory. Church, do we pray this way? Do we pray for it at specific times in our everyday. Now notice verse 2. If you are spreading the gospel rapidly, what happens? Everybody gets excited and they'll carry you on your shoulders and you'll see that people will love you. No. <laughs> Matter of fact, just the opposite happens. There's wicked people who come. There are people who are dramatically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we start to evangelize, what happens? They become more and more prevalent. As the gospel advanced, it comes under opposition. Missionaries went from city to city. Well, there were converts. There were also adversaries that rose up trying to frustrate their efforts. There are people even in your life who are frustrating your evangelistic efforts. And it's taxing. I cannot prove it, but I think with all my heart that the thorn in Paul's flesh was not a literal thorn. It was a person. Because there are people who are thorns for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that they would come to know Jesus as well. In Acts chapter 17, verse 5, we learn about one of these things. The Jews, it says, were jealous. And they took some wicked men and they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of a believer. So the opposition of these enemies, not a particular group but more broad, was due to a couple things. Why do people oppose the gospel? Why do people oppose your evangelistic efforts? Number one, they have a lack of faith. Number two, they're wicked or perverse is that word wickedness in verse two. And number three, they're simply evil or actively harmful. Possibly, Paul is speaking about the Corinthian church here from Acts chapter 18. But verse one and two show the positive and the negative reactions 
that come from preaching the good news. I pray that you would have positive reactions when you speak the good news. But I know oftentimes there will be wicked people who come and are prevalent there. So we pray for you and you pray for us that we would be rescued from wicked people. For we know this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. All missionaries, which we all are for the gospel, need to pray for safety. And if the Apostle Paul prays for something, you should probably pray for it too. We need to pray from those who don't believe the gospel, who are actively working against it. Yes, this world is crooked. Yes, this world has gone astray. But we believe that there is power in the gospel to transform even the hardest of heart. We believe that there is power to transform even the hardest person that you have in your life. Luther once said, prayer is a powerful thing for God's bound and tied himself thereto. None can believe how powerful prayer is and what it is able to affect. But those who have learned it by experience, prayer is a powerful thing. I have met so many people just this past week who are dealing with immense amount of problems. I have no answers for their problems. The only thing I can do is look at them and say, I will pray for you. And that, my friends, well, it doesn't feel enough. It is enough. That we plead our case to the God of the universe and we put at his feet all of the things that transpire in our life. And he says, as we learned last week, I've got this. You can trust me. But Lord, you're not answering my prayer. Oh, I'm answering it. Just not in ways you want me to answer it. I'm working on you just as much as I'm working on that situation. So there's still a fierce battle between invisible spiritual powers and our main defense is prayer. We need to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 says, as these spiritual attacks come, believers are Satan's and his demons' primary targets. If you claim to be a believer, get ready because here comes all the adversary in full effect. So let me give some guidelines just real quick based off the entire uh, Bible of how to prepare for and survive such attacks. Number one, church, as we approach November and December and looking into 2024, one of my prayers for you is that you would take being a believer seriously. That you would look at your relationship with God and you would say, I am going to take that seriously. And I'm going to take spiritual warfare that comes with that seriously. And as that happens, you should pray for strength and help from the Lord. When? Pastor Jordan, give me a tangible time. All right, I'll give you three. When you get up in the morning before you do anything else, you pray. What do I pray for? I praise God that he's given me another day to live. I repent of the sins that I know are transpiring in my life. I ask him for help to get out of bed. (laughs) Some of us, as we get older, that prayer becomes even more real. Number four, I ask him to yield to whatever he has in store for me today. It's not my to-do list, it's his to-do list. And if things need to be changed, so be it. Number three, I pray and study the Bible to recognize Satan's attacks. When do I do that? Three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. It's funny how many people talk to me about the 2.30 crash. I'm like, you know what you should do for the 2.30 crash? You should grab your Bible and walk around the block, whether it's 90 degrees out or nine, and spend time with the Lord. And see how much the day will change In the afternoon, if you spend time with God. Oh, well, my workplace doesn't allow me to do that. Uh, Yeah, it does. Number four, 
Do what Mark Dixon just did, which warms my heart. Memorize Scripture. If you want to be able to defend the attacks that are coming and that will come, memorize Scripture. There's been a couple of attacks that have happened this past week, and the Bible verses that I know just come full forward into my brain, and I can hear them. Romans 8, 28. For God is working for the good of those who love him. John chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord is not a condemnation. He is a salvation. Be still, Psalm 46, and know that I am God. Associate with those people who speak biblical truth and implement God's word. It is not enough for us just to sit in church. It is not enough for us just to sit in Bible studies. It is not enough for us just to go to men's or women's huddles. It is not enough for us to do those things. We have to do what it says. I would rather, I would rather you do one thing that the Bible says instead of read 17 chapters. Because when we do what it says, it changes and transforms how we see all of these things. It will advance the gospel. So many people look at me and they say, Pastor Jordan, I just don't think I could share the gospel like you do. And I was like, well, I think you could if you do these things and take them seriously. Because out of the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. And so oftentimes we don't speak what God wants us to speak because our heart is too filled with the things of this world. So Paul moves in and he says, pray for us, we're praying for you, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as it has happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all people have faith. Three, but the Lord, he is faithful. And all the people say, amen. That's great news. He will establish you, he will guard you against the evil one. Oh, if there was a time to underline a passage of Scripture, now would be the time. Highlight it. Do whatever you have to do. Put arrows that point to it. Put a bookmark in your Bible and read that every single day. Because what Paul says is prayer establishes and guides us as believers. Let's break that down. There's a play of words in verse 2 and verse 3 regarding the word faith. It's a different word there in the Greek. Faith in verse 2 is the word pistis. you got to be really careful with that one. Meaning something people have or don't have. So we're talking about believers or non-believers. Do you have faith or do you not have faith? Then in verse 3, faith is the word pistos, which means faithful. Now many people may be with or without faith, believers or non-believers, but that doesn't change the fact that the Lord is faithful. Full. Let me explain. If you jump back into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's just a page away, and you look at verse 24, Paul says uh, in verse 24, He who calls you is faithful. And because he is faithful, he will surely do it. Now, what Paul's doing here for the Thessalonians is he's essentially reminding them of God's faithfulness saying that God can be depended on to keep his promises, but you too must be faithful. See, God won't change, neither will his faithfulness to his promises, and because he is faithful, he asks us to be faithful. That word also means loyal, as loyal as you are to a sports team, as loyal as you are to your spouse, as loyal as you can be. God is faithful. In his faithfulness, we realize he does a couple things. Number one, he establishes, verse three, second part, his people. 
The character of God is the foundation for your confidence. So if you're going into a situation and you're thinking about something and you're saying to yourself, how do, how do I know God is faithful because his word says it first and foremost, but secondly, he has bestowed it upon us. God promised to supply us as believers with every single need. So Paul in the Thessalonian church could rest in the assurance, verse 3, that he would establish, that word establish means that he would provide strength to withstand temptations and trials. Now there's a verse that partners us so well in Philippians to the church of Philippi. Paul already wrote in chapter 1, verse 6, I am certain that God, who has began a good work in you, what will he do? He's going to continue it. So just here, here's the deal. Just because you got saved doesn't mean that's where the inheritance of God stops. Oh, he's going to keep giving. He's going to keep working. He's going to keep doing things until it's finally finished. <laughs> I asked this a, a while ago. I said, Lord, when are you going to stop frustrating my plans? He's like, never. He's like, I'm going to frustrate your plans until you come home to me. And then you'll see that everything was done for your good. Now, just because I'm frustrated sometimes as a believer never means that God has removed his faithfulness. Continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now you go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you again is faithful. Why does Paul have to say this over and over again? Because they're like sheep. They got to hear it over and over and over again, just like a spouse needs to hear, I'm faithful to you. I'm loyal to you. I love you. I care about you. I want your best. So because the Lord is faithful, he will strengthen and protect you. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll never face difficulties. It means that even though there have been and will be persecutions, death, difficulties, sufferings, all those things, there is no ultimate defeat because God's already won the war. And if you know who wins, then, the, then, then you can just continue on because it, the, the, the things don't matter. Neither the word nor the church will fail because God is faithful through any situation, all situations. He can be depended on to strengthen and protect his people as the result for all believers is an eternity with the living God. Even as I faced challenges this past week, I constantly spoke into those challenges. Lord, you win in the end. Lord, you're victorious in the end. Help me to see that. Help me to know that. Help me depend on that. Help me to see that your promises never change. You establish your people. You are faithful to us and you ask us to be faithful to you. Because not only do you establish us, but you also guard us against the evil one. Now, look at the second part of verse 3. This is really interesting because it partners with God establishing his people. But it's already been stated that the true enemy of the believers is the evil one. That's Satan himself. But because the Lord is faithful, he protects his gospel message to continue to spread across the world and guards us against the evil one and his attacks. So if somebody opposes the gospel that you preach to them, it's not really you they're against, it's the Lord. So really, in all honesty, it frees us because there's a lot of times where I look at people who are pushing back or persecuting me or our church, and I look at it and I go, you're not against me. You're against God. The conviction isn't against us. The conviction is against the Holy Spirit who's speaking into that situation. 
There's conviction that people have that permeates out of them as anger towards the believers. And as believers, we're missionaries commissioned to spread the gospel, and we realize that evil men in this world exist. And in that work, the Lord strengthens us. Every time we carry on, he'll guard us against the evil forces at work. So here's the deal. Ready for this? This is how this kind of lands. There's no need for us to be in hypothetical situations anymore. I hear this all the time. Pastor Jordan, what if? Why do we play the hypothetical game? I don't understand it. What if he does this? What if she does this? What if, what if, what if? That's a hypothetical. How do you know? How do you know? If I share my faith at work, I'm going to get fired. Good. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll get promoted. Who knows? Maybe you'll stand up for something for once. Convicted. Maybe people will see you as a person of conviction. I don't know. But what I know is we can't play the hypothetical games. We do this in our house all the time. I look at Bethany. Bethany look at me. But we're not playing hypotheticals. We're not doing it. Because we do it with our kids all the time. Amen? Like, oh, what if they do this? Oh, man. Then we get to kick them out. <laughs> so our work, ready for this church, is not a human endeavor. We're on the Lord's battlefield under his command, under his authority. If we win in the end, then I march forward. In the meantime, we have to let the Lord guide us and be consistent in our prayers. We do not cease praying to the Lord for the trials and tribulations that we are facing. We pray that for you. We pray that you march on knowing that in the end, God wins. See, because the last part of 2 Thessalonians, in the verses that we're covering today, we realize that we trust when we pray. Verse 4, we have confidence. That's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three major, if not most well-known Christian missionaries in all of the world at this time are confident in the Lord about you. Isn't that amazing? If you were a Thessalonian and you're just like a peon and you heard the Apostle Paul pray that for you, that would just light a fire underneath of you. You're telling me that Paul and Timothy and Silas have confidence in the Lord about me? Pastor John, myself, Jessica, all of our staff, ministry heads, we have the same confidence in you that he who began a good work in you will complete it. That you are doing, verse 4, the will to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now that's a powerful prayer. With all that said, Paul knew the Thessalonians could have confidence in the Lord. How do we have confidence in the Lord? Number one, he chose us. He chose us before creation was ever there. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, guess what? God chose you too. So you make that decision. But look at this. Number two, it says they were being obedient to the apostles' teaching, even though they were experiencing persecution. You know what that means? They did not waver. They never wavered. They said, we will continue to stand our ground. And remember, believers at this time, they didn't have the New Testament. So they had to listen carefully to those teachings. That's the word commands. To the apostles that came from God. We'll tackle this a little bit in chapter 3, verse 7. But in context, Paul's referencing the specific command to pray. 
He's mentioned that already in the previous verses. He'll say it again coming up in the following verses. He'll give some practical advice on what living that faith out looks like. But Paul says this command. What is the command? Do not cease in your obedience and your faithfulness and in prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. And he that trusts God, obeys God. Well, so what? Well, in verse 4, the finality of the section and the culmination of Paul's prayer is that the Thessalonian believers and all believers, ready for this? Let the Lord direct their hearts. You cannot let God direct your heart unless you seek him in prayer. The word direct, if you want to circle that, means to keep hearts loyal to the Lord or to incline their hearts toward God by removing obstacles from the path. Let me ask you a question, church. What is preventing you from spending time in prayer to the Lord? What is preventing you from seeking the Lord's faith? Paul wanted the believers, then and now, to move forward with commitment, asking God to guide them as they meditated on God's steadfast love for us. That means that prayer is both verbal, and there's also times in prayer when we're called to just shut our mouths and just take in the fullness of God. This section of Scripture offers valuable insights into the role of prayer. This is Paul praying for his beloved church, and he's asking the church to pray for him. He's saying you utilize your prayer in standing firm in the faith. You utilize prayer in resisting false teachers. Your prayers advance the gospel. Your prayers rescue us from the wicked. Your prayers strengthen us and so much more. Your prayers guide your hearts and eliminate obstacles. It's a call and a commitment and a plea to understand God is faithful. He who began a great work in you. So Paul is saying that as you pray it, it pray, it reminds us of the enduring power found in our faith. And it helps you navigate the challenges of life. Now here's where we need to get really tangible. Because I realize that where we're at right now currently in the world, nobody has probably taught you to pray. As a matter of fact, the more I hear people pray the more I hear their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents pray. If I talk to somebody and ask them, has anybody ever sat down and taught you to pray? Majority of the time, people say no. Well, then how'd you learn how to pray? A lot of times, I'll just say, I just listened, and then I just started doing what that person did. So you probably pray the sum total of five people that you've heard pray. Just as you are uh, the sum total of your five friends, like if I were to go and say, hey, who are your friends? I'd get a good idea of who you were. I'd get a good idea of, your, of who taught you how to pray, listening to you pray. So is there a model or an outline to follow? Yeah, we just prayed it. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And he follows a model. Psalm chapter 23 follows pretty much the same model. If you're looking for tangibles on how to start to seek the Lord, morning, afternoon, and evening, when you get up, afternoon, and then right before you go to bed, you can pray just like this, a prayer of praise. And you might pray for a minute, and you might pray for 10 minutes. I can pray for a long time praising God for a lot of things. I praise him for another day to live. I praise him for my family, for my friends. I praise him for the church. I praise him for food. I praise him for the fact that there's sunshine. I praise him for the fact that there's no snow on the ground. 
I praise him for big things and for small things. As a matter of fact, the older I get, the more my praise part of my prayer is just longer and longer and longer. Then I repent. A confession of sin. Sometimes I pray, God, there's things I've done I don't even know that I've done that are wrong. Would you just forgive me of that? God, would you remove that from my life? I ask God for help in regards to sin. Oh, I did it again. Back talk to my wife. Shouldn't have done that. Disciplined my kids in a way that probably shouldn't have disciplined. Said some things about some church people behind their backs. Definitely shouldn't have done that. There's many things that we can repent of. And then I ask God for help. For self and for others. Listen, church, I say this out of so much love. You guys are great on praying for other people. You do it all the time. It's okay to pray for yourself. God loves when you pray about the things that are near and dear to your heart. Sometimes it's, Lord, I'm just frustrated. Or, Lord, it's just been a great day. Thank you so much for the day. Would you help me to have another one tomorrow? And then I yield usually before I study scripture. So usually prayer is always partnered with with scripture reading. Here's your homework. I dare you to do this for 30 days, morning, afternoon, and evening. As a matter of fact, 90% of my prayer life follows this model right here. 90% of the time, I'm praise, repent, ask, and yield. Actually, it's kind of hard not to anymore. I've been doing it for so long. But I realize that Jesus does the same thing when he teaches his disciples to pray. The psalmist does the same thing. I had a student one time. He looked at me and he said, Prof Muck, which is still weird. I said, what? He said, if God knows everything, why in the world would I pray to him? Well, here's the deal. If you come into my house and if you look at the refrigerator, you're going to see my kids' school schedule sitting on the side of that refrigerator. I know everything that they've done all day long. I could tell you exactly who they ate lunch with sometimes. I just know. I know what's going on in their world. I can see it on the refrigerator. But you know what? At the end of the day, when I ask them, how was their day? I love hearing it from their point of view. There's actually nothing better. I don't look at them and say, hey, in math today, how did this go? I said, hey, tell me about math class today. And they tell me all about math class. And they pour out their heart. They say, dad, sometimes I just don't get this. Sometimes I just don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Or, hey, I was dealing with this person at, at school today. And I love hearing from their point of view. God loves hearing from your point of view. He loves when his people plead all their requests and lay them at his feet. Because you know what happens in that? Same thing that happens with me and my kids. Mature relationships are formed. We get closer and closer and closer. And you know what? That's when the real magic happens. That's when real maturity happens. We pray that for you. Pray that for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good. Your love endures forever. The psalmist couldn't say it once. He had to say it multiple times. You love to hear from us. You love to hear about things that are transpiring in our world, and we praise you that you love to hear your praises. So help us to do that. God, we know we're sinners. We understand we fall short of that standard. Forgive us. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, make the best decision that you could ever make. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a relationship with you. Would you be my Savior? Bible tells us very clearly, 
If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You can't work for it. Ephesians chapter 2 says it's by grace that you are saved through faith. And God, you are faithful. Help us to be faithful. God, help us as we continue to work on our communication with you. That we would yield to the things of this world and we would put into practice talking to you. Your word says to pray without ceasing. That before decisions are made, we would seek your face. We would talk to you. Before we do anything, that we would communicate to you. We would tell you from our point of view, our perspective, what's going on. Help us to delight in that prayer. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for your word and the fact that we have confidence that comes from you. Help us to realize that our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.